Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. Oh! 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 <laughs> Matt. Yeah, yeah, Daddy. This is our very first Halloween special episode. First Halloween special, first of month. We have three episodes coming out. It just happened that that's just how it worked out. By that's week. how it worked out. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be it's, – um, it's a packed October for our audience, I think. We actually were planning this regardless because we did want to do a Halloween special. Uh, and we got, we got a fun, fun game to talk about today. A cute <laughs> game. But Lucas, first, I would like to know your favorite Halloween memory. Maybe not yeah. even favorite. Maybe just one that stands out to you. Okay, okay. I actually got a good one. I got a, a good uh, recent one uh, from a couple years ago. It was Halloween 2018, I think. It was the year that I moved to Las Vegas. I was out there for a couple years. And um, it was Halloween. We partied till 3 in the morning in downtown Vegas, listening to house music on a rooftop bar. And uh, man. Were, were you dressed up? Uh, no, I actually wasn't dressed up, uh, but everybody else was dressed up. No, no, so check this out. Here's the, here's the, the best part of the story. So, uh, a week prior, I had gone to Binion's, a casino there in downtown Vegas, and, uh... Oh, I've, where you took me and we lost a lot of money on we, craps. Yeah, but we, yep, yeah, that's right. I did, <laughs> I did take you there. Because <laughs> well, uh, you told me no one loses on those tables, and we lost that's, our first. <laughs> that's usually true. That's usually true. Uh, anyway, uh... The week prior, I went to Binion's. Uh, so this is like a week before Halloween, 2018, and I had like 20 bucks on a like uh, voucher ticket for a slot machine that like I forgot to kind of cash out uh, the the week prior. So I was like, oh, I'm going downtown. You know, might as well run an errand and uh, go uh, slip this <laughs> in and get 20 bucks and go buy a drink. And I parked kind of near the bar and I walked down Fremont to get into Binion's and. Oh my God, never go to downtown Vegas on Halloween and walk around. It is like, it was the most crowded thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It was more crowded than Black Friday, Southern California really? Mall, Brea Mall. Yeah, it was the worst, the most crowded I've ever, it's ever been. The there tourists. was costumes, costume people, costumed people everywhere. And I saw my very first public masturbator. Yeah? <laughs> All before I cashed in. Were like, they having a good time? <laughs> no, you know, he was not having – he looked like he was angry when he was doing it. And I, I cashed in. It was a scary night, man. I uh, cashed in my good. 20 bucks, but uh, the happy ending is I was able to basically get what I called a free drink uh, over at the bar. Um, check out the Commonwealth for those of you that haven't been. Uh, oh, is, is that where you took us? I don't think I took you guys there, but uh, mm. it's a super cool rooftop. I took you guys to the downtown cocktail lounge. That's yeah, yeah. That another fun. another big Vegas recommendation. <laughs> uh, I'm just remembering what we. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's a more recent fun Halloween. Uh, public masturbator, most crowded I've ever seen Fremont Street, but had a good ending. What about you? Yeah, man. Uh, I got a. I got a couple. I don't have like a one that particularly stands out. I got a couple wholesome ones, and then just like one that was just straight up like chaos and fun. Um, the wholesome ones are like growing up my neighborhood always had like block parties growing up where everyone would like have a big potluck out in front of our cul-de-sac and like everyone would bring food and it'd be outside just hanging out all night and then everyone would bring up all the kids would come up and we everyone would get candy. It was just a good wholesome time. And then last year, right now I live in more of a residential area, uh, more suburban I guess, and 
my roommates and I, we were so stoked. We were getting a hell of trick-or-treaters. It was crazy. Nice. Felt like a real, proper adult. We were, we were so excited. We ran out of candy. And we went to go buy more. Like, like 20 bucks worth of candy. No one else came the rest of the fucking night. So, like, <laughs> for like a, a month straight, we were just munching on, like, Milky Ways and Three Musketeers. I always and end up the, doing that. <laughs> and then the, the less wholesome one is just senior year of... Uh, of college, just man, you know, you know how it goes, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing else to say. I was just—I remember I was particularly uh, stressed at that or that uh, time in my life, and I remember thinking, "Man, this is the first week I have a while to let loose." And good God, it uh, that <laughs> old that old rock. If you have a good night, <laughs> sounds, sounds like some good some good Halloween memories, man. I hope I hope the people listening are yeah. Are and Halloween's kind of canceled this year, so that sucks. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Uh, you know, there's still going to be plenty of people doing their Halloween parties and yeah, um, having their fun and everything like that. But for me, Halloween is um, a super awesome time of year. Um, as I've gotten older, I think there was a period in my life where I, I didn't appreciate Halloween season at all. Uh, when you're a kid, Halloween is, is awesome. You know, you go to school oh, and yeah, you dress up and it's super fun and you go trick-or-treating and it's just the greatest thing ever. And then when you're kind of a teenager, I'd say early college, it's kind of like, eh, at least for me. And now that I'm like a real adult kind of working full-time and just going out through, you know, just the post-grad life really does swing by super fast. And Dude, Especially with, like, right now with... COVID I know, I know. So weird. And something about the changing of the seasons this time of year, things get a little cooler, um, it gets darker earlier, um, and something about horror just goes hand in hand with that. And I'm a big fan of the genre. It's kind of cool seeing a scary commercial for like Geico or M&M's, you know, on TV. Uh, I think it's just a really fun time where like everybody just embraces the idea of being scared. It's like kind of an excuse to kind of get a rush of um fear um and i, I love i, I it's think it's fun to embrace that like side of art too yeah exactly like the horror exactly. side and like like explore those movies more and just appreciate it for what it is so i exactly uh, i uh, no no controversy there full support awesome. uh, i'm really excited to watch mandy pretty soon with nick cage actually <laughs> uh, that's what i'm gonna watch talking about for a that. while and i'm pretty excited to check that out yeah man. so obviously the topic for today is horror is horror and naturally lucas and i played clearly the most horrific game we could think <laughs> of a visual novel which for those that don't know a visual novel is like a uh storytelling um type of video game it's like where, reading a book it's like reading a literally it's like reading a book but it has animations with each scene typically it is derived from anime or an anime's ends up being based off it because it is drawn in that style that you would consider to be traditional to uh, anime. Today, <laughs> we are playing Holy shit. the visual novel, the infamous Doki Doki <laughs> Literature Club. <sighs> now, I'm going to give a little bit of a longer synopsis than we would usually try and do for this game, just because to really get an idea of what Lucas... What, what this game is, I feel like I have to go pretty in depth with it. Otherwise, the whole conversation that Lucas and I are going to have will just be lost on everyone. Yeah. Um, I just before you go into the synopsis, I just want to tell yeah. everybody this game is one of the scariest games I've ever played. I, a lot it of is. like real direct and indirect horror, um, but it's disguised as a cute anime dating simulator game. 
Yeah. Um, and and I we'll go into it more, but that that adds so much more to the. It horror. subverts phenomenally well. Yeah. 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 Um, like if you were to go, in, all right. Well, no, let's get the synopsis. Get, get, the get to the synopsis. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I mean, God, it was just so, so gosh darn scary. I mean, ah, <laughs> oh, it was it was scary. Go ahead, Matt. Right. And also, I want to emphasize in the synopsis, I'll be referring to kind of the person playing the game in two manners, the protagonist and the player. I want to bear in mind that those are distinct people I'm referring to. Um, the player being yourself and the protagonist being who you're playing as portraying in the game. So, Doki Doki Literature Club is a visual novel where the player takes the role of the self-named protagonist. The protagonist is invited by his childhood friend, Sayori, to join their high school literature club. The protagonist reluctantly agrees and meets the other members of the club. The assertive Sundere Natsuki, the shy intellectual Yuri, and the club president, president the bubbly Monica. As the days go by in the club, the protagonist grows closer to each of the members by writing poems, sharing them with them, chatting with the members, and spending time with some of them outside of the club. Sayori reveals that the protagonist that she's sorry, excuse me, Sayori, Sayori, Sayori <laughs> reveals to the protagonist that she suffers from depression and confesses her love for him. The following day at the school festival, Monica shows the protagonist a poem written by Sayori as ordering someone to get out of her head. Realizing Sayori is in danger, the protagonist rushes back home to find that Sayori has hung herself Hanged. in the game. Has hanged herself, excuse me. The, we're getting caught on semantics on that part. <laughs> the game abruptly ends. You, the player, are taken back to the title screen. All your save files have been erased, and there is glitched out text where new game should be. The player restarts the game and finds that Siori's existence has been erased, and none of the characters remember her. Through the duration of this playthrough, which is already plagued by glitches, the negative aspects of Yuri and Natsuki's personalities are amplified, ultimately leading to Yuri professing her love for the protagonist and regardless of the protagonist's answer, killing herself by self-stabbing, leaving the protagonist stuck alongside her decaying cadaver over the weekend. Natsuki and Monica arrive to discover what has occurred, and Monica apologizes for leaving the player stuck with Yuri's dead body over the weekend. Monica decides to make up for it by deleting Natsuki and Yuri's characters' files from the game and sending the player back to the main menu. A new file of the game is automatically started and the protagonist is placed in an empty room with Monica. Monica reveals she is sentient and that she is aware that this is a video game and that she caused the deterioration of the mental state of the other girls, ultimately deleting them all in a bid to get closer to the player. The player ultimately goes into the files of the game and directly deletes Monica, just as she did to the other members of the literature club. Monica lashes out, but eventually, excuse me, eventually repents by restoring the game and characters, excluding herself. Depending on the courses throughout the game, uh, depending on your actions throughout the game, you get one of two endings. The first kind of neutral ending being Sayori adopting Monica's possessive characteristics upon the new playthrough and becoming sentient just as Monica was. The remnants of Monica, her like psyche in the game, then intervene and delete Sayori to protect the player. Monica continues to delete the game files and disband the literature club, believing that there can be no happiness found in it. The latter option, which is considered sort of the happy ending, is 
where if all the options have been viewed in a single playthrough of all the different um, things that can happen with every individual uh, girl before Siori's death, which can only be achieved by saving and reloading at certain points in the game before Siori's initial suicide, then Siori thanks the player for emotionally supporting all the club members and tearfully bids farewell and assumes the player, excuse me, and assures the player that the club members love them before she deletes the game. After the credits, the player is presented with a message from the game's developer, Dan Salvato. End game. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, it is. It is quite a game. Uh, I. I did not think that I would. I'm still getting over it. Honestly, I started. I played the game yesterday. Uh, for those of you that caught it, I, I did stream this game live and got plenty of jump scares <laughs> on, on camera for all the scary moments that happened. Um, and I realized, you know, it's it's a very anxiety-stricken game. It's it's a pure horror game in a lot of ways. But it's also just very deeply unsettling. And, man, I, I was told, I was warned by Matt and others that this was a very disturbing game. That, I mean, there's a, there's a <laughs> disclaimer at the beginning of the game that says this game is not suitable for children or those that are easily disturbed. And I ignored it. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm not easily disturbed. Turns out I am. So... <laughs> Yeah, it was it was quite a game. Um, yeah, this, man. It, this game. Oh, sorry to cut you off, Matt. Uh, this game did receive a ten out of ten on Steam, and it also did get the People's Choice Award on IGN for PC Game of the Year in 2017. And uh, ask if you ask anybody around, um, this game has developed quite a reputation for itself for exactly what I had just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's just a horror shit show. I'll never forget the very first time I played it. Um, I was just lying on my bed and like just playing on my old laptop, and I just uh, like the the scene where you know you can slowly leading up to Sayori's um, suicide, you can kind of slowly start to get glimpses of like something's off here. Like this is kind of drip, you know going away from the genre I'm used to with a type of visual novel or a game like this. And you can kind of start to see, okay, like something's not right. And then when you finally have the realization of what's going on and ultimately um, discover Seori hanging there, it is just the most horrific feeling and just the most yeah. terrible feeling. Because for a couple of reasons, one, because obviously this is a terrible sight you know, to come upon. Like I remember I was just lying on my bed and like in my bedroom and I could just like, I looked at the screen and I looked up at my like ceiling. I could just like visualize like her yeah. hanging there. And it was just like, I like fucking had trouble sleeping that night. And I was just like, is there? Like, yeah. What? And it's just, it's, it's horrifying. And then the second, one of the other reasons it's extremely horrifying is because generally in these kind of games, you're given a choice and it's kind of implied at that point that it's your fault. Siori died like this, that you could have done something different or obviously in reality, because of Monica, there's nothing you could have done, but, it's like this crazy guilt that your childhood friend, your best friend yeah. has just confessed their love to you and came to you for help in their time of need just ultimately loses their battle. And it's just yeah. like this crazy, terrible, horrific feeling just from the horror of finding her and the dread of realizing what's happened. It's just insane. This game did such a great job of making me feel guilt. Um, and feel scared and, like I said, anxious. But yeah, you're right. I mean, this is uh, Sayori uh, is your childhood friend, and you're trying to actually cure, not cure, but you're trying to help her through a, a manic and depressive episode that she's having. And um, I mean, 
it sets the game sets you up to make you feel like things are going a certain direction and then it completely does a 180 and and not only does it does it say hey um this is horror this this here's a girl that hanged herself in her room and you're looking right at her but also the game is now going to break and she's going to disappear from reality in that game and that it breaks horrifically yeah and it just makes it so much more unsettling um man yeah just just really crazy a little bit about the developer really quickly and kind of going into how I even personally heard about this game in the first place. Um, Dan Salvato is one of the lead developers on the tournament edition of 20XX. Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. What a good guy. Because um, that's how I found out about this game when it first came out. Because I was on I was just browsing Twitter and Melee community is fairly, maybe not as so much these days, but back then particularly it was very tight knit and like, everyone would support each other. And um, I just see everyone like retweeting, oh, go check out Dan Salvato's game. And uh, I, I had played a couple of visual novels leading up to this, so I <laughs> didn't really, I just assumed I knew what I was getting into. Uh, didn't so really it caught context. you completely off guard? Yeah, like I heard people, you know, giving like, oh, like this game's terrifying. Like, you know, and obviously there's the warning in the beginning, like very direct warning of like this game's not suitable for minors, people easily disturbed. Like I heard some things like, you know, like, don't play this game if you're like very sensitive yeah i was like whatever i'm like 20 21 20, you're, whatever the, yeah. the, the the thing that you think it is is like nudity or explicit like sexual yeah things. You, yeah like things that would like like hentai like things like yeah. you're thinking to be in a visual novel or something <laughs> yeah. right yeah uh not at all though it's <laughs> terrifying um and yeah just uh in, incredible subversion i mean it, like, when you first play it, it's like, oh my god, this game is so fucking cute. The music's cute. Yeah. It, everything's just, like, fun. And then it just spirals down spirals. into hell. Because um, yeah. I remember, because I, I had played, this was Lucas's first time playing, and I had played this game when it first came out, 2017, right? 2017. Yeah, 2017 when it first came out. And there were several moments throughout the game where, when I knew something was going to be happening... I would like my heart rate would pick up, and I was getting like low key like PTSD or like anxiety leading up to it. So I'm like, oh shit, I know what's about to happen. Like leading up to Sayori finding Sayori hanging there, I uh, like my heart rate was just like, boom. I was it was Doki Doki, you know? Yeah, Doki yeah. Doki literally translates like, not translate, but is like the, what's the word? Like, Automatopoeia. Automatopoeia for like a heartbeat in Japanese. And my heart was just like picking up and going. And I was just dreading knowing what I had to experience again because it left such a terrifying impact to me the first time. And same thing when I knew what was happening with Yuri. And like every time she gets a little bit crazier on you and things like that, I'm just like, oh God, I'm, yeah. I don't want to keep playing, but I have to. Cause it was either this or Amnesia, which I didn't want to do for the pod. <laughs> I'm really glad we chose this over Amnesia for the Halloween episode. For so sure. much. I mean, it's, I mean, is probably terrifying too, but it is a different it is, type of terrifying. It's a different type of terrifying, and this is a type of terrifying I've never experienced, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Very... Just, moving, just moving on real quick, Matt. What what did you think of the game design aspects of it specifically? Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's a pretty basic game. A visual, a visual novels are very simple. It's you know, cute artistic anime style drawings. Um, thrown in with choices here and there, but for the most part, you're really just reading a game. You can, it's almost like, for those who haven't played a visual novel, you can almost think of it like a Phoenix Wright game if you play that. Like, very simple, but this is even, like, more stripped down than a Phoenix Wright game. So yeah, there's hardly The basic stuff for, like, most of the first half of the game is, like, you know, whatever. Um, very traditional, but it works. 
But the latter half, once things start going funky and you know everything gets crazy with the girls and the the thing the gimmick I won't call it a gimmick, but the the aspect and the parts where you actually get to go in and are encouraged to manipulate the files are crazy. Yeah. And it's even what's even crazier too is like if you have the files open just on your directory, like on another screen while you're playing the game, you can see like the files being edited as um like as it shows things being deleted in the game. You can see it happening in real time, which is just insane i know there's been some games that kind of do things like that that kind of like play with your save files or would look into your save files to kind of like get an idea of who the player actually is yeah like i think i could be totally wrong on this but i remember hearing somewhere i think like a metal gear one of the metal gear games yeah did that. so metal gear on playstation one there was a boss that was psychic yeah. um and he would i don't know the full full details of this fight but it's like a certain person that you fight that's psychic and he actually reads what's in your save file and like starts talking to you about the games that are in your save because he like can read your memories and things like that. So um, the way you actually beat him, if I recall correctly, um, is you actually have to remove your memory card or change it to slot B in your PlayStation or something like that. Oh, it's really? like one of the ways to beat him. That's yeah, awesome. otherwise he's going to actually predict your moves every time or beat you or something like that. Could be an urban legend because I've never confirmed that myth, but... Um, Sounds interesting. Um, yeah, it's a it's sort of a, a postmodern way of of kind of making a video game. Um, I have a few other examples. I mean, the famous example of something kind of that plays with kind of breaking the fourth wall and like understanding that it's a video game is something like Undertale. Undertale sure. is like one of the more popular examples of something like this. Or Pony Island is another kind of more niche example. This is like kind of something that video games have done since like the PlayStation era, maybe even sooner. But we, we're seeing it more common in video games these days. It's so interesting to see games that are so self-aware and able to do things like, yeah, make you go into your file browser on your computer and delete something to beat the game. It's crazy. And particularly, too, like games that by design make you feel powerless. Like, for example, there's, like, there's nothing you can do in the game to avoid Siori's death, and then just forcing that on you is just really leaves a huge impact on the player. It kind of serves, you know, the maybe like the, some of their free will narratives going on in the game, but obviously yeah. it's just Monica manipulating everything. And exactly. then like the moment where you were not, uh, not, 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 not Atsuki, uh, Yuri, Yuri kills herself. You're like just standing there for the equivalent of two days in the game time, just like rotting, or not, you're not rotting, but just standing next to her rotting body. And I remember I was watching you play the game on Twitch and you're like, do I, do I log out? Like, do yeah. I, you're just stuck there. Like, you don't understand what to do. You yeah. just have to keep going through until like the other players are scripted to come back into the, to the game. You know, it's just, it's. Yeah. I, I love the, the way the mechanics were played with and, and changed here and there, you know, like how the skip option came up after the first like playthrough of the game, um, how you never really know if you're saving or not. Right. There's like kind of this illusion of saving kind of like an undertale that's there too. Um, where yeah. you're not really quite sure. Well, you could sure. definitely save, but like once things go to shit, you realize that you know there's there's no like real saving. Yeah, game. exactly. Um, and but the only way to get like the proper good ending is by reloading your saving, saves. reloading the game, going down each girl's different proper path before um, Monica starts messing with everything. And, well, uh, that's because the death. the game is still knowing that you're going back through those saves and unlocking yeah. those things. So the game is still saving, even though it feels like you're going back and reloading to an, in an instance before you did a certain action. So the 
it's one of those things that it's really trippy. And even when you start a new game, your lo- your save files disappear. The action of saving and looting is a game mechanic in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, and how my save files disappeared after Sayori died. So I wasn't able to go back and like edit or change what I had done in the past. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're right. It just leads to this feeling of powerlessness. Um, it makes it feel... Um, uh, here, what I have is with the with the game design and i know like like you said the game design is super simple um but things like playing with the skip button um saving and loading themselves being a mechanic manipulating your your computer files being a game mechanic it just makes nowhere feel safe i felt like i was i was having anxiety every single step of the way because the game did that to me you're you're controlling nothing anymore yeah in monica's world yeah you genuinely don't know like i mean i guess i can i mean she's editing fucking files on on your computer on your computer i know even if i closed the window even if i just completely closed the game i mean i uninstalled the game after i legit uninstalled i I uninstalled the game after no cap (laughs) dead ass I uninstalled the game. Yeah, and I I think that reaction probably gets uh, brought out in a lot of people. It's it genuinely feels like I had to get rid of this thing. It doesn't feel safe. It does. It does not. Feel and the safe. kind of game. It's the kind of game that makes you. It, when you're playing it too, it almost kind of feels like like am I being punked? Like yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, is, is someone like video like recording me? Is something else going on? Because it's just yeah. it's so uncomfortable and just leaves you with the feeling that something isn't right exactly and that's just very very impactful um right. art style man art Bring style yeah honestly loved it loved it all <laughs> i love the girls uh cute they're girl. cute as fuck uh, awesome yeah it's awesome yeah. um yeah it's kind of funny because each girl is like kind of an uh, ar- archetype of like uh, an anime kind of girl you know oh yeah i, I kind of mentioned in the beginning but like natsuki is like the typical like kind of rambunctious uh, story that like shows their affection with like fisticuffs and shit and then yeah. you have, like the shy but like intellectual yuri yeah and then you have like the the goofy childhood best friend and like the bubbly president being monica yeah they're very and, like, typical everyone fits the it's the perfect tropes like the perfect archetype tropes it's yeah it's exactly what you could expect in like a typical slice of life shown in manga or something like, yeah there's... and the the art style serves it all through all of them for sure yeah, because like anyone that's watched an anime or probably played a visual novel up to this point, they're like, you know, they're they're used to seeing this, right? Yeah. Exactly. And then the second it starts subverting things, um, it's just oh fuck. That's when it gets scary. And the scary glitches they used for the art, the art style, how it changed when like the glitches would happen, and like the kind of the design of like Sayori hanging herself and what things would look like when Yuri and Atsuki started glitching out and their faces adding like that realism to Yuri's eyes. It was all <laughs> in, or like the part where like Natsuki's, I don't know if you got this part, but like I took the Natsuki route. So I have a part where like she glitches out, her neck breaks, just like a full, oh, like, like full that, thing. And I would have like, freaked out. Runs at you while she's all glitched out and it's just terrifying. Um, <laughs> But it all comes together to just totally create the feeling of unease and like this isn't right. I need to get out and like stop playing this game. Yeah, exactly. What do you got for uh, sound design? Uh, sound design, dude. Um, wow, wow, wow. But real quick, actually, one more thing I do want to touch based on art style. There's like little details they do that's really well. Is like, for example, all the other uh, everyone except Monica when they're talking to you or addressing you, 
they're all standing kind of like slightly at a like side angle, not directly facing you. Yeah. The only character that's facing you like very much clearly head on directly the whole time is Monica. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yes, yeah, so there's like little things like that um, that, I, that I thought were really fun. Oh, that's cool. And little kind of that if you pick up on it, you can kind of realize like looking back on it like, oh, that makes sense now. Give me context <laughs> or anything that's going on. Oh, but for, for sound design, the sound design was phenomenal as well. I mean, yeah. The from the start to where it's like a cute anime game, like a typical kind of what you could expect really of a visual novel or even just like an anime soundtrack in general for like a slice of life. It's it, it just it works. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not phenomenal for the genre, like at all, but I mean it works. Yeah. But then when everything starts going to shit and when like Siori hangs herself, it's just the way they distort the music is just so I, uh, know. I, know. I just got chills. Did you get? Yeah, yeah. I felt, <laughs> I felt, I felt exaggerating. I'm not behind you. Yeah, I'm not exaggerating. Like I just like played that back in my head in the music, and I did. I just got chills. <laughs> um, it's it's just the perfect blend of like mixing the original music and distorting it, and just you know everything is fucked up now. Yeah, and you know that this game is not what you thought it was. And that transition with the way they initially distort that music with during Sayori's um, hanging scene is just so well done and really sets the setting of what you can kind of expect from the game going forward and sucks you out of what the game has been up to that point and you realize what you're actually playing. <laughs> right. I, I pretty much want to echo exactly what you just said. I feel the exact same way. The only thing I want to add is like, the cutesy music, I don't want to hear it ever again. Even the non-distorted version, sure. just the regular menu yeah. music, it it just completely changes how the music, like, <laughs> it's it, it it even though it sounds cute, it's not cute anymore, you know. And because you know what's behind all that stuff, so yeah, the sound design is really cool because it works on a lot of different levels. I mean, it is cute, good music, right? Like, oh, this is nice. Like, just kind of playing along, you know, trying to date these girls, whatever. And then, like, the same music plays later after Sayori's committed suicide, and you're like, oh, take me out of this hell, please. <laughs> it's the yeah. same exact music. Um, it almost feels like you're trapped now, and you just can't you can't hear it anymore. So that's all I got for that. Yeah, and um, I kind of watched... Uh, I was trying to see if there were any interesting, like, videos with interesting... on YouTube, like, with interesting takes. And I came across one. I apologize. I don't remember the user, but... He did an analysis of the piano in the game. Because mm -hmm. um, very early on in the game, Monica mentions how she's always the one, or she's learning piano, right? And that piano is kind of like her thing. Like, for example, when you're going through each of the girls' poems and sharing poems with them, everyone has their own distinctive, like, theme song. But when you get to Monica, all that plays is piano. Oh. And kind of what the guy noticed throughout the game is that Whenever the piano is present and you can hear the piano playing, excuse me, that's when Monica is like involved in the scene, even if it's not directly like that's when she's watching um, like what's unfolding and deciding what kind of actions she needs to take. Wow. In particular, the um, when when things start going wrong for the girls the piano in particular will start severely distorting. Like there'll be certain parts where like when Natsuki is glitching, like most of the music is normal, but the piano is what's really distorting. Or when uh, Yuri's craziness starts happening, the the main soundtrack is a is like a distorted and muffled piano. 
no joke. I'm like getting. <laughs> I know you're getting you're getting scared. Yeah. Hey, it's spooky season. It's and spooky I keep season. watching myself in the my webcam, just like is anything gonna show up behind? I know, me? I know. I'm looking at myself too, <laughs> hoping that uh -huh. there's not an uh, anime girl hanging. Yeah. So me. they do so many little. The game has so many little details like that that are so good and. Kind of just going backtracking a little bit, but on game design, like Monica kind of literally tells you how to get the best ending, like with the save tips and stuff, you know, like throughout the throughout the game, Monica gives you like little tips while the game is still relatively normal. And one of them is like, oh, if you want to try something over or like explore another option, make sure you save type of thing. And I mean, for, I mean, I'm the kind of guy like I just want to like bolt through one ending and just get to it and see what's done. So I'm not going to unless it's like a crazy big consequence, which obviously you probably try and fix it when you get the CRE result for the first time but you can't but for the most part i like i'm the kind of guy that like won't like backtrack but like no literally basically tells you like yo you should be doing this if you want to help each girl and get the proper ending so little things like that i thought were pretty uh pretty, pretty good. cool but yeah. did you have any more takes on the uh the sound nah man i'm ready to go straight to the npc award oh oh <laughs> Okay, I think we both we, we might both have the same NPC award for the same person. So I, I want to see if we do it at the same time. See who we get. You think we have the same? Uh, we might. I don't we think might. we have the same. You don't think so? Okay, ready? Yeah. Three, two, one. Monica. Natsuki. Okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. Why Why do you pick Natsuki? Uh, she likes anime and manga. <laughs> no, but she is your type of girl. I think she's probably <laughs> for those of you. Hang on for for those of you out there. Matt, Matt needs a go-getter type of what'd you call her? Short, rambunk, rambunctious. I don't know. I don't think a tsundere would actually be a, a fun to hang out with that, in real that, life because they'd just be punching you the whole time. Yeah, but Matt, Matt, Matt likes getting punched. I don't know if you guys know this. Um, he, he's into it. Okay, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I guess. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, but um, Nisuki, I kind of liked. Kind of Nitsuki's whole... So, with each of the girls, each have their own, like, very clear... I'm not going to call it a, um, a fault, but, like, their own very clear, like, trait that is, like, kind of their... Not downfall, but, like, their negative parts, right? Mm -hmm. So, obviously, Yuri... Um, or, excuse me, Siori has her depression. Yuri has her kind of OCD that kind of turns into harm OCD. And then kind of, which is a real thing, by the way. Mm -hmm. And then kind of turns into like this crazy obsession with you, which she directs all that obsession onto you, the player. And then you have Natsuki, who's just like, throughout the game, you keep getting hints and you slowly realize like she probably comes from an extremely abusive family and an abusive dad. Like the whole reason she's so skinny and so small mm -hmm. is actually just because she's like very malnourished at her house. Really? Yeah, did you not get that? No, I never got. Yeah, oh yeah, so I took I took the Nusuki out. Like she was the main one I spent time with, leading up to everything. Because I think the first time I played it through, I did Siori, so I wanted to do something different. And, Mon like, there's parts where Natsuki will literally just like glitch out and pass out, and then Monica comes in. And she's like, oh, ho, ho, that's that's normal. Um, she oh, uh, she gets like that when she runs when she gets tired. Her father her father kind of abuses her, doesn't really feed her. Um, so I bring these protein bars for her just in case. And then she eats a protein bar and goes back to normal. Oh, that's um, horrible. But that's, like, her whole thing is that she has, like, this terrible home life, basically. And, her, and it kind of is shown in her last poem where it's, like, I like it when Daddy, like, is basically nice to me and doesn't do shitty things. Yeah. Um, oh, God. And I kind of... I, I, I kind of... I won't say I related to it, per se, because, like, I don't have, like, a 
I, I grew up with the great parents, no issues with like my home life in particular. But I, I do understand the concept of always using anime and manga as like escapism in like those fantasy worlds. Because like for me, whenever like I've been frustrated in life, and this has persisted for me, like whenever I just got into anime and manga in the first place, it's always been my favorite form of escapism, just because it's so different and it can like just show these really get into like kind of these crazy worlds that just seem so attractive and animate things beautifully and it's just such a fun escapism whether it's like a fantasy manga or like kind of slice of lives which i think is kind of what hinted that Natsuki likes which makes sense because she just wants to experience a life that's at least a little bit better than hers so i kind of get that because like it, anime among is a phenomenal escapism tool when things are shitty in your life whether it's personal life or whatever it may be and that really um kind of i guess resonated with me wow that was a very well thought out npc award might yeah. be the best award we've given this season of, uh, of Thanks for Playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great. Um, I mean, I don't really have that that deep of an explanation for Monica given the NPC award, besides her really being the driving force, um, her really being the villain, her her really feeling real uh, in the game by like editing my, my game and um, editing the files on my computer and, and her saying what she was saying. Um, yeah, um, she tried, she failed. She drove the whole game and ultimately deleted herself and kind of Im- Im- there's an implication that she lived through it as a remnant psyche inside of uh, Sayori, which I thought was really cool. Um, but yeah, Monica was um, w- was what was interesting about the game, I think. And I, I especially like moments where like Monica is like you, like there was no way that you were ever going to end up with me. That's not the way the game was written. And she kind of drives home a little bit of this like free will type of situation that's um, kind of in the background of one of the themes in the game. Uh, I thought that was uh, really, really cool where she's actually suffering. Um, If if she is sentient, right? If the game's like haunted, you know, which is sort of like what another theme in the game is, then Monica is just just sad deeply because she's never going to get picked, which these girls have been programmed that that is their purpose. Literally not scripted. Yeah. So Yeah. yeah, that was so, that was really interesting. So the NPC award goes to Monica. She came, she tried, she failed. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah, just the little things, like the way she haunts the game too. Like the the part where you have to like once the game like really has glitched out and you have to pick who to spend time with on the weekend for the festival, like the game literally drags your mouse to Monica and just little yeah. things like that are just so really yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Natsuki was a uh, best girl for me. Yeah. Love it. Cool man. Companion piece. Drop it on me. Yeah. This was hard. This is hard. This was a hard really one. Hard. Yeah. yeah. So companion piece pick, uh, just for, as a reminder, this is the segment where we pick a non-video game piece of media um, that we believe goes hand in hand with what we just experienced in the video game. Um, my companion piece pick is The Enigma of Amigara Fault, um, a short horror story manga by Junji oh, Ito. That is yeah. terrifying. Yeah, I, yeah. I read that pretty recently, actually, again. I read it in high school, actually. I read it a little while ago. He has ago. another one, too. I haven't read this one. But Uzumaki? Is it, is it, Uzumaki is one of them, the spiral one. I'm familiar with that one. Then he has another one, too, where it's just a girl that like Tomi. wants to dissect herself. Right? Oh, like, oh, no, not that one. Um, wait, is that? I don't know if that's the one, actually. I think it's Junji Ito. But there's one where a girl just like basically just like begging people to dissect her. Um, and I'm just like, oh, that's, I almost picked that, honestly, when I went and read it. But I had another one. But I'm like, oh, that's okay. Yuri, basically. <laughs> well, well, Jinji Ito, he's he's interesting. He's kind of a Japanese mangaka horror master. Um, you can find tons of analyses of his work online. You can find a lot of his. You can literally Google the Enigma of Amegara Fault and read it. It's a short read. Probably his most uh, famous one. Yeah, that's a, that's a relatively famous one. His 
His most famous work um, is probably Uzumaki, which is a three-part volume um, of a town that's haunted by spirals. And like people slowly start descending into madness just because of spirals. Um, Ito is someone that really understands that um, horror at its core is something that simply just unsettles us. Um, I think when we're young, we tend to be disturbed by things like murder, um, which is why Freddy, Jason, Michael, uh, these characters in, in modern horror are so scary to us because they just murder people, right? Uh, not really any clear explanation. Maybe it's revenge, um, but it's brutal and it's scary. Um, but, you know, I think, and this is going to sound a little morbid, but the older I get, the less unsettling murder becomes because there's so much of it all over. It, you, you get, get older, you get it, desensitized. As far as, like, seeing it in media and stuff. Yeah, and, like, every podcast, like I said this last time, every podcast is a true crime podcast. Uh, every single show is about murder. Every single show on TV, every single movie is about, like, death in, in a sense. And I think what's interesting about works like... Uh, like Doki Doki Literature Club, like the work of Junji Ito, is it's not necessarily murder or death that should be the scariest thing. It's like madness and yeah. just things that are unsettling for the sake of just, we don't really know why. Um, for me, Doki Doki was unsettling because it contrasted really cute, like kawaii shit with like suicide and like... It contrasts what should be happening. Yeah. Exactly. I, I don't know. I um, That's why I picked uh, something by Junji uh, Ito for my companion piece pick. I highly recommend any of his work, especially this Halloween season for everybody out there. Yeah, Junji, he's, he's phenomenal. Probably one of the best just hor uh, horror connoisseurs in general. <laughs> horror masters. Horror masters. He's yeah. the horror master. He's the horror master. He is <laughs> what do you got for companion piece pick? So I got an anime... <sighs> Actually, this is... Oh, I want to make sure I get the proper name because I feel like it goes by multiple names. Um, Poila Magi... Poila Magi Madoka Magica. Um, I just call it <laughs> Madoka Magica. Um, it, so when I, when I was trying to pick what I wanted to do for my companion piece, I kept trying to think of, okay, what can I do that's similar in style to... Or kind of similar in experience, how you experience it to Doki Doki Literature Club. And at first I thought of like maybe some, a couple of other visual novels I've tried. I'm like, nothing, no, that's not a fair comparison at all. And not really, it kind of it doesn't really add anything to it. And I was just thinking, okay, instead of looking at like what kind of media can be experienced, it was kind of more focused on it stylistically. And I think one of the biggest things, obviously, that Doki Doki does is subvert, right? Huge subversion of the genre. And I was like, oh, shit, Magica Madoka which is a huge subversion. Um, I don't know if you watched it, Lucas, but it's a huge subversion of the magical girl genre where it starts off as like, uh, and for those that like, when I say magical girl, I mean like Sailor Moon would be considered like a magical girl anime. Um, and I, wasn't it aware, off, I wasn't aware that that was its own genre. Really? Thank you for, thank you for educating me on that. Yeah. yeah, I had no idea. Um, so it starts off as just like this cute magical girl, like, anime girls fighting the forces of evil and at first i'm like i think i like watched this anime this was one of the first like non super mainstream like shonen style animes i watched so i remember i was watching this when i was like 17 or 16 or something like that and i'm thinking to myself like what the fuck am i watching i'm like this is <laughs> like my, my uh shout outs to rick i believe he was on the recommended to me he's like yo check this out actually no ricky didn't recommend it to me because i've been getting him Fuck. Fuck you, Ricky. <laughs> He'll say he Ricky. recommended don't, it to me, but it wasn't don't him. Give Ricky, don't give Ricky credit. Love you, Ricky. But 
I remember watching it thinking like this is one of the first animes that I've watched that's really outside the like super mainstream ones and it's just like this weird not weird but like cute girl like what's going on and then once it hits like like I think it's like the fourth or fifth episode huge subversion it become it goes from being like this um you know like cute magical girl anime to like having all these horror genres and like not horror so much but more like psychological suspense thrown into it and it's just a super great just a great subversion of the genre and i think it's something that could stand in comparison to uh, doki doki when looking at how well it subverts a tropes how well it subverts tropes and typical things nice. so highly highly recommend magica madoka definitely one of my favorite anime of all time super good story just give it a few episodes <laughs> <laughs> love it love it um for for doki doki do you think you had a favorite moment uh for me it would just have to be the ending with monica's room i guess where everything comes together because up to that point it's just like um like typical you know nothing spectacular um visual novel stuff and then obviously once you can tell it's a different kind of game that's everything kind of sucks for most of the game (laughs) and then seeing everything come together and then having the realization they have to actually go in and physically or i guess not physically, but like tangibly alter the game files was just a, it was fun. Yeah. And that was that my, part that, was cool. That um, was my favorite moment as well. Yeah. And it was fun getting it. I liked getting it in an Atsuki. You yeah. know, the parts where she wasn't glitching out, it was, it was pretty nice, I guess. Because <laughs> you love you love Natsuki, I get it. Yeah, man, That's your type of girl. Good day. Fucking For those of you. Was streaming, and then he's like, bro, he's texting me, he's like, bro, I kind of like Yuri. He's my type. I'm like, Yuri is my before type. before she started like glitching out, I'm like, oh, this checks out. Nah, even even <laughs> when she started glitching out, she was still my type. I think people can vouch for me on that one. Yuri, if, if anybody knows people like Yuri... <laughs> Tell him to hit me up at Good Idea Lucas on Twitch. Tell him to check me out. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. All right, man. Any any nitpicks you got for us today? Honestly, pretty tight experience. Um, pretty uh, well done. I don't have a single nitpick. I will say that this might be a first for this season of Thanks for Playing, <laughs> season one of Thanks for Playing. But yeah, I don't have any nitpicks. I think it was all just really well done. Yeah, man. Same here. Um, no, for for what the game's trying to do, it executes on everything perfectly. Ex- exactly. So I, I have no issues with the design or no issues with anything really. I, I, yeah, exactly. I can't really have nitpicks or real negative like trash talk on the game when I've never even experienced anything remotely like it before. So yeah, it's just and, so unique in its own right. There's nothing really comparable. Exactly. What about uh, even for other games that break the fourth wall? Like it's not really comparable. You know? Yeah, exactly. Because it's a combination of breaking the f- fourth wall horror psychological shit inside of a visual novel video game which i've only played phoenix right i've never even played a single visual novel before so this was my first visual novel (laughs) uh was it probably wasn't the best one to play as my first but you're just gonna hate um, playing everyone from now yeah i know i probably i'm probably gonna wait for i'm gonna be all scared every time i play another one so thank you for that uh salvato that was great speaking of salvato um would you play any games from this developer yeah, so he doesn't have anything else right now, but I mean, uh, you, you know, you and I still play Melee here and there together, and <laughs> if you're using 20XX in any capacity, Dan Salvato has been involved in that, so obviously we would, we love that, and you know, he's done a lot for Melee, so that's awesome. Um, mm. There is supposed to be some more uh, Doki Doki Literature Club content coming out this year, actually. I don't know what that entails. I don't know 
I don't think it's a direct sequel, but I think it's more so either another standalone title, kind of maybe expanding on the girls' stories, or it might be like DLC in some format. Not exactly sure, but I will definitely check out anything Dan Salvato puts out. And I think he did mention that he has another visual novel that he wants to work on. So yeah, uh, I'm excited for that release whenever it comes out because he has definitely earned um, a revisit. I think from anyone. Yeah. So I got a, I got a hot take. I got a not complete opposite, but I, I got a take that's a little on the other end. Um, as far as twenty XX is great, I'll never Dan Salvato. Thank you for that, right? But as far as playing other visual novels from this developer, if if they're assuming that other games that Salvato makes are going to be visual novels, um, I'm not quite sure if they're going to be if I'd play them. Is it because it won't live up to the expectations, or you'll be too on edge playing it the whole time because you're like, okay, when's a weird thing going to start happening? Well, that's that's it. I mean, it's either going to be okay. This let's say I'm playing a visual novel from Salvato a year from now. Um, it's either going to be a regular visual novel or it's going to be it's going to subvert expectations like this one did yeah. um, either way I'm going to be it's kind of gonna this is so like this has Nothing to be can surprising. Ever come close to this yeah, yeah and this has to be a surprising thing to do and you'll be looking for what's going to be happening weird in the next exactly. you know what he should do he should release it under a pseudonym and that then, like, would maybe a few months into the game you know, or maybe include like an Easter egg in the game that somewhere that indicates he's the creator or something like that. Yeah, cool. something something like that. Or I mean, if if Dan Salvato can come up with with interesting ways to subvert my expectations in unexpected ways again, I'd be highly highly surprised. Um, if they can knock it out, though, man, more power to them. If they got new ideas and really cool things to do within that visual novel thing. Do it again. I'll play it. Yeah. You know, so I, that was a, that was actually definitely a thought that came into my mind as well. It was like, how can he ever like? You can never repeat what you did at Doki Doki. I feel yeah. like, and it's probably can. honestly, I hope he breaks those expectations. Cause I'm sure that's something stressful he's thinking about. Yeah, too. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, yeah. yeah. So, final conclusive well, thoughts on the game. Incredible game. Incredibly unique. Interesting take on the visual novel genre. And also, you know, it brings to light important issues with mental health. You need to be there for people that are struggling. So, you know, if you know anyone that's struggling or someone that maybe seems off, don't be afraid to reach out. Just check in. Even something as a little text, I think that can mean a lot to some people. And just show that you're there for them. Because, you know, especially in today's world, guys, um, everyone could use an extra hand. It's 2020. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've had a, a shitty year worldwide, particularly shitty in America, I think. So be there for each other, be kind, help one another, stay alive. Yeah, well said, Matt, well said. Um, I do want to echo what you said. Um, first off, great job, Team Salvato, really great game. Wonderful Halloween game for this season for us. I'm so glad we did it. I think it was super scary, super well done. Um, but yeah, it did touch on you know issues of suicide, depression, self-harm, uh, abuse, a lot of it, and, and they were yeah, and and they were hidden. I mean, we just saw right here in the recording of this episode that there were things that I didn't even know a character was experiencing, but I could have found that out, right? So maybe that's something that we should all take away: is you can find out. You can't not not that you can, but you should always assume that everyone is going through something, you know, and treat people correct, you know, because you never know what kind of battles people are fighting on the other side. Um, if you don't go back and reload that save file and see what's going on in their personal life, you'll never know. Yeah. And we can't do that yeah. in real life, you know? Um, and there's even a part where you come upon Sayori's swinging, hanging body, 
and the protagonist says, I can't undo this. You yeah, know, he directly this isn't, says, I yeah, can't reload. This, this, isn't, this isn't some game. This isn't some game that I can reload. He says that. And at that point, you can't reload and you can't go back. And um, we never want to have those kinds of uh, experiences for ourselves or the people that we love. So always reach out, guys, especially during this scary season and this crazy time of, of history. Yeah, well said, Lucas. Great. All righty. All right, ratings. Final ratings. For those that don't know, maybe first-time visitors to the podcast, this section, Lucas and I both give our ratings out of 10. Neither of us have discussed our ratings beforehand, and the rating will be out of 20 once we add it up. And this is the one true rating of this video game that trumps all of the video games, uh, <laughs> video game reviewers yep. or sites, critics, they mean nothing before this council. That is true. <laughs> All right, Lucas, on go, um, we can reveal our ratings okay. and discuss. Three, two, one, go. Nine. Yes. <laughs> Good. Okay, I'm excited on that one. I was, I, I. That puts us in the cum zone. That's the cum zone. Yep. That's a, that's a great, that's a great rating. Uh, an 18 out of 20. Uh, is what Thanks for Playing has given to Doki Doki Literature Club. Somebody update Wikipedia now, okay? <laughs> the out of 20 score is the new standard for video game review scores, and um, yes. it's us. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great zone to be in. Uh, Doki Doki, I think that might be one of the higher rated games that we've done so far. It might be the highest rated game we've done. Yeah, <laughs> legit might be. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm just stoked that no, we. No, I think it. Stanley Parable and Beginner's Guide was pretty high up there too. They might have been around. It, they Did were I definitely in the comments. Ten. I didn't give him a ten. No. I have yet to give out a ten. Lucas has yet to give out a ten. Hot dog. Yep. All righty, man. Well, I think that's all we got time for today. All right, everyone. If you're interested in keeping up with the podcast, or maybe you want to shoot us an email, you can email us at. Thanks for playing pod at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to email with any questions or anything that you want us to maybe expand on in a later episode. We'd be happy to touch base on that um, and hear from any of our wonderful 35,000 listeners. Um, <laughs> you can also find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TFP Podcasts. That's TFP Podcasts with an S at the end. And if you had so much fun with your favorite host, Matt. You can find me on Twitter at Good Idea Matthew and on Twitch.tv at Good Idea Matt Lucas. Let the people know. If you had fun with your second favorite podcast host, me, Lucas, you could find me on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at Good Idea Lucas. Um, shoot me a DM, tell me I'm wrong, argue with me. I love it, love it, love it. Um, send us any corrections you got to our email inbox and, um, or just stop by and say hi and give us a suggestion on a game to play. We'd love it. Please do. Please do. Yeah. And one last thing. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) That's all we got. All right, everyone. This has been, thanks for playing. Catch you next time. Skip it up. Thanks for playing is a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch Red Circle. <laughs>